All righty. Well, today we are going to wrap up our series called Choices. Everybody say Choices. This is the fourth week, and this is the final week, and then I'll move into uh, something different next week for Father's Day. But really, what, what stemmed this, this series is, is God's been showing me so much lately, and so many things that, that has to do with the choices that we make in life, it, they ultimately set us on paths. And all of those paths that we get on, they all have a destination. They take us somewhere. And really, you can condense this series down into one statement that life is a series of choices. I mean, every day we're making choices. Choices to get up, choices to sleep in, choices as to what we're going to eat for breakfast, for lunch, for, for dinner, for late night snack, choices as to what toothpaste we're going to use. I mean, choices are, are, are all through life. Life is a series of choices. And the person that you are today, and where you are today in life, and the type of life that you're experiencing right now really has been shaped and formed and impacted greatly by the choices that you have made in your past. And here's the, here, here's the, the concerning part for all of us this morning. The choices that you and I are making right now, whatever that they are, they are going to greatly affect and impact and shape and influence who you become one day. Where you are in life three years from today, one year from today, ten years from today. The quality of life that you're going to experience. Young people, as you're dating, the choices that you're making today are going to shape and influence your marriage. And all the experienced married people said, Amen, he's telling the truth. Better listen. Choices. Now, this morning I'm going to put a, a spin on this series. For the last three weeks we've been talking about uh, the choices that we make and how they put us on paths. And I taught you the principle of the path, that, that direction, not intention, determines our destination. Uh, the second week, I talked to you about every, every path is a choice. Every path has a destination. It's going to take you somewhere. Uh, last week, I taught you um, somewhere on purpose. Everyone is, is going to end up somewhere. Few people will end up somewhere on purpose. Y'all remember that? And I talked to you about you got to have a plan. You got to know where you want to go. You got to have a vision for your life and you got to get on the path that will take you there. Well, this morning I want to kind of put the turn signal on and change lanes just a little bit. And instead of talking about where choices lead us, I want to finish this series by talking about the dangers of too much choice. The dangers of too much choice. Choice. There is a belief in our culture today that more choices or more options lead to more freedom. Or, or um, those options uh, create a bigger variety for us, which they do, which should in turn cause us to be more free, which should lead to more happiness. I mean, more choices should equate to more freedom, which should equate to more happiness. I mean, think about it this morning. The more freedom that someone has, the happier they are, should be. However, I would argue this morning that the top goals of most people are certainly not job security. It's not relationship stability. The top goals of most people really aren't even a healthy marriage. The top goals of more people, or of most people, is to have more freedom, more choices, so they can spend their lives however that they want to spend it. They want more choices. And we are bombarded today with endless Choices. You high school graduates, you're, you're realizing that right now. There are a hundred, a hundreds of degree programs that are offered by multiple universities and, and uh, colleges. 
you could attend. I mean, just choices everywhere. There, if you go to buy an automobile today, whether you want a new one or a used one, choices. I mean, you're going to be bombarded with choices. There's hundreds of makes and models and types and sizes. They're, they're everywhere, and, and they're on different car lots and different dealerships. The choices are overwhelming. You go to Walmart, and I don't make that a regular uh, routine of mine, but I've been there enough to know that there's a whole aisle dedicated to different flavors of soft drinks. Choices. And then <laughs> directly across the aisle is water. Really? I mean, I just want water. But there's choices. There's Dasani. There's Fuji. There's, or Fiji. What is it? I don't know. There's, there's Nestle and, and Sam's Choice and Aquafini and all, the, all these things. I just want water. I mean, you go in there, your wife says, go get me some water, and you're like, in, you're in there, and you're like, ah! Choices, it's just, it's really overwhelming, all the choices. We're bombarded with, with choices. But, but if our way of thinking was correct, then all of those choices should lead to more happiness, more freedom. But is that the case? Does more choice really lead to more happiness? I would, I would argue that the answer to that question is not always. More choice doesn't always equate to more freedom, which would equate to happiness. In fact, studies show that when you give a person too many choices or too many options, it actually makes a negative impact on their life. And real quickly, I want to run through three different uh, negative impacts that more choices create in our lives. First of all, if you have too much choice, it leads to procrastination and paralysis. <laughs> just like when you're standing there looking for water, you just went in to get water and you see all these different name brands, you're like, ah, you're just, I mean, you're paralyzed. You've experienced that. You, you, you go to eat somewhere and you, you open up the menu and you're just like, oh my goodness, everything looks good. Or you can't even figure out where you're going to go to eat, let alone what you want to eat. How many of you have ever gone to a cheesecake factory? Raise your hand. All right, for those of you who have never gone to a cheesecake factory, let, let me tell you what Cheesecake Factory is. It's not just a place that serves cheesecake, as the name might imply, but they have, a, I mean, it's a full-fledged restaurant. It has excellent uh, entrees and appetizers, and, and every time I've gone, everything that I have gotten to eat has been wonderful. But I have a problem with the Cheesecake Factory. And it, it's not their food. Their food is wonderful. It's not their service. It's not even their management to the stores I've gone to. It's their menu. It's, their menu looks like a book that you would put on a coffee table. As a matter of fact, I, I looked it up this, this, um, this week just so I could have my uh, you know, statistics right or my information right. Their menu is 21 pages long. And they have two, listen, 250 items on the menu. That's where they cap it. <laughs> 250 <laughs> items on the menu. And every time I have eaten at a cheesecake factory, it has taken me at, at least 20 to 30 minutes to decide on what I want to eat. And the waiter will come by. Have you guys decided yet? No, I need some more time. He's like, all right. And he, I'll be back in five minutes. He keeps coming by. I know he's getting impatient. I know he's getting frustrated. But it's not my fault. It's the stinking menu. There's too many choices to choose from, and everything looks good. That's the problem with too many choices. You know, there was a, there was a study done not too many years ago by some 
um, some psychologists at, um, I think it was Stanford University and Columbia University, and they did this study. It's called the JAM experiment. Don't look it up now, but you can go home and look this up. It's called the JAM experiment, where they, where they set out, they put two display tables, and they, they set them up on different days. Um, they didn't have them both out at the same time, but they were display tables with different flavors of jams. Okay? On one day, they put out 27 flavors of jam. And then on the exact same day, the next week, they put out a display table with only six flavors of jams. And they did this for several weeks in a, go, in a row. One, one Monday, it would be 27 jams. The next Monday, it would be uh, six flavors of jams. And studies showed that although the, the greater variety of jams on the table with 27 flavors, it would attract more people because after all, they're, they're lured in by the, by the variety of jams. Statistics show that people were more likely, in fact, they were 10 times more likely to purchase from the display table with only six flavors of jam than they were the display table with 27 flavors of jam. Do you know why? Because too many choices cause paralysis, procrastination. People, there are too many options. I don't know what to do. So that's one of the negative impacts. Another negative impact from too much choice, it leads to stress and anxiety. Stress and anxiety. Um, spring, and I've gone to one of these before, but uh, spring break, we took the kids up to Branson, Missouri for a couple of days. And, and uh, I don't know if this is the first day or second day, but we stopped in at the, uh, the Cold Stone Creamery. You ever eaten at one of these? It's like you can customize your ice cream. It's like... It's like heaven. I mean, you just you pick out your ice cream and you pick out the toppings and they smash it all up together and, and give it to you. Well, we walk into this, this, this ice cream shop and, and there's a zigzagging queue of people that are just waiting in line. And, and no lie, we probably spent 10 to 15 minutes waiting on ice cream. People are standing in line waiting to get a taste of heaven. And uh, we finally get up to the counter and you could see down into the freezer. Now, now obviously... Uh, I was expecting to see like, you know, strawberry, vanilla, chocolate, maybe a couple of other flavors, you know, the basics. But I get up there and there's like coconut, there's cotton candy, there's orange dreamsicle, there's, I mean, butter pecan, there's mint chocolate, white chocolate, dark chocolate, chocolate chip, cookie dough, there's all kinds of flavors. And I, once again, I'm undecisive. Now I don't know what I want. Yeah, I'm paralyzed, but now the, the worker, I mean, he's looking at all the people behind me and he's getting impatient. The people behind me are like, really, dude, make up your mind. And I'm stressed out over ice cream. <laughs> stressed, I don't even know what I want. And, and because of the stress and anxiety and pressure of all the, everyone behind me, I just, I just pick something. <laughs> Go with strawberry, with strawberry toppings. I mean, that's, that's my... <laughs> Uh, limitations there, I guess. And it was good. Don't get me wrong. It was good. But watch this. Because there was so many choices, it left me wondering, did I make the right choice? Would something else have been better? Which is the, the next negative impact of too many choices. And I promise there's a message in here, okay? I promise there's a sermon. Some of you is like, really? I didn't come to hear about choices today. I, want, I need some Bible. I, I, we're we're, we're going to get there, okay? But the, the negative impact, the third negative impact of having too many choices is comparison and regret. This is where I want to spend the majority of the time this morning. 
Too much choice leads to comparison and regret. The reason why is because every time I make a choice, I eliminate all the other choices. I eliminate all the other choices, which often is called by some people, it's known as what, what people call buyer's remorse. Have you ever heard that phrase? They, uh, uh, it's a feeling of regret after making a purchase. It's, it's having a sense in your mind that you have made the wrong choice. Because there were other choices available, now you have what you have, and, and this, this sense in your mind that maybe you made the wrong choice. Maybe there was a choice that was better. And, and this, this mindset leads to regret and comparison. Always thinking, listen, always thinking that you could have made a better choice. Always thinking that there was something better out there. And, and this mindset of constant regret and comparison, listen, this is a tactic of the enemy. This mindset of, of, of constant regret and comparison is one of the tools and strategies that the devil will use against us. He wants you to constantly be thinking that you have made the wrong choice, that there's something better, that you could have had a better uh, uh, spouse, that you could have had a better uh, career, that you could have done better in this, you could have done better if you had gone here instead of here. This, this constant mindset of regret in comparison, the devil uses this. It's, it's not just in the little things such as, you know, the clothes we buy and, and, and food that we're going to eat. It's not just in comparison in those things, but, it, but it's also in bigger things that, that really matter, like in our marriage and in our relationships and, and, in, and in comparing our kids to how other people's kids behave and, and the grades that they make versus the grades that our kids make. I mean, it's a, it's a tactic of the devil to keep us in constant comparison and regret. And if we don't learn to be content with who we are and, and who we have and, and what we have, then we play right into the strategy of the enemy and we never have any peace in our lives. The scripture that I want to read to you first is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Many of you know this. The Bible tells us to stay alert. Be sober, be vigilant, be awake, be ready. And here's why. you got to watch out for your great enemy. And I love this because it names who our enemy is. It doesn't say your husband. It doesn't say your wife. It doesn't say your kid, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law. It says, watch out for your great enemy. Who is it? It's the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I, I know that most of us know this, but we need to be reminded of this this morning, that the enemy is out to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your health. He wants to destroy your ministry. And one of his tactics, one of the th the, his platforms that he likes to use is comparison and regret. And the way he's able to use comparison and regret is through Choices through other options. Because with more choices, you begin to imagine what another choice might have been like. And this imagining what another choice might have been like produces regret. And this regret, even if it's only a little bit, takes away from the satisfaction of your original choice. 
we see this strongly in marriage. There is, there is no question that when you say I do at the altar, there is no question you are convinced you made the best choice. I mean, you picked the be- if you're a man, you picked the best woman in the world. You, you're convinced of that on your wedding day. I made the perfect choice. I made the best choice. I could not have done better. You're convinced. But then over time, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe a few years, you start to wonder what being with another spouse might be like. You begin to wonder, did I make the right choice? Was she really the one for me? Was was he really the one for me? You start convincing yourself that you've made the wrong choice that you could have done better. You see, with more options, check this out, with more options, our expectation of how good something should be goes up. Because we have something to compare it to. We have someone else to compare her to. We have someone else to compare him to. With more options, with more choices, our expectation of how good something should be goes up. Now, I have no idea what Adam and Eve, and for those of you that's new to church, Adam and Eve were the very first humans that God created. I have no idea what their marriage looked like. But I suspect that it was very intimate and very healthy, specifically before their kids were grown. I suspect that they uh, loved each other deeply, that they um, appreciate each other deeply. I suspect that they valued one another greatly. I suspect that when they looked at each other, they were convinced that the other person was the most beautiful person they had ever laid their eyes on. You know why? Because they were the only one they had ever laid their eyes on. They had, listen, they had no one to compare their spouse to. It's very, very important. Adam didn't know if Eve was fat. Adam didn't know if Eve was skinny. He didn't know if she was too short or too tall. Eve didn't know if Adam had a good body. Or whether he didn't have a good body, whether he had good hair or no hair. She didn't know. Adam didn't know if Eve's curves were all in the right place. He didn't know if she had a nice chest or a nice booty. I know I'm taking it to the extreme this morning, but I want you to get the point. He didn't know. You know why he didn't know? Have I lost you already? You know why he didn't know? Because he didn't have anyone else to compare her to. I'm here to tell you, comparison is an intimacy killer. Comparison, do you see how the devil will use comparison and regret as a tactic to destroy the intimacy between you and your spouse? To destroy your ministry, to destroy your career, to destroy, I mean, your relationship with your kids, the way you look at your kids. I mean, this is a, a huge tactic of our enemy. And remember, we just read, he's roaming to and fro. He's like a, like a prowling lion. He's looking to devour you. Comparison. Write this down. We're going to put this on the screen. The way you value things depends on what you compare them to. 
The way you value things depends on what you compare them to. I'm here to tell you that comparison is a spirit of the devil. Now, I'm not talking about comparison as in comparing prices and deals as to whether or not this is a wise purchase. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about comparison that is rooted in envy and jealousy and lust and pride and always looking for something better. That's what I'm talking about. And that it's a tactic of the enemy. He's always trying to make you think that you could have done better, that you've made the wrong choice. He wants you to give, get your eyes on what you don't have and the choice you didn't make and compare that to what you do have and, and the choice that you did make. It's a spirit. It's a, it's a spirit of compromise. It's of the devil. And he uses this tactic through choices. Now, now the devil doesn't necessarily provide the choices, but, but yet he brings the spirit of comparison to get us focused on those other choices, those other options, instead of being focused on the choice that we've already made. More options produce more expectation of how good something should be. That's comparison. More options produce more expectation of how good something should be. Comparison. More options make room for more opportunity for disappointment. Because you will always know there were other choices. That's regret. Let me read that again. More options make room for more opportunity for disappointment. Because you always know that there were other choices. Regret. I believe that the greatest dangers of too much choice is comparison and regret. So how do we fight this? If it's a tactic of the enemy, we got to have a means of fighting that. How do we fight that? How do we combat this tactic? How do we overcome this spirit of comparison and regret? Well, we know we cannot eliminate all the other choices. I can't go out and eliminate every other woman in the world except my wife. That's impossible. So how do we win then? If we can't eliminate all the other choices, how do we win? How do we overcome? Watch this, write this down. You overcome comparison and regret with contentment and commitment. You overcome comparison and regret with contentment and commitment. I want to I spend some time on each, each one of these. First of all, contentment. Really, contentment is the antidote for comparison in the context of choices. Contentment is the antidote for comparison. Contentment is happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment. That's what contentment is. I, I'm satisfied. I, I'm fulfilled. I'm, I'm, ha I'm truly happy. But most people today aren't truly happy. They're not really satisfied. They're not really fulfilled. And the reason why they're not happy and fulfilled and satisfied is because they're looking for people to meet those needs. They're looking for another person to make them happy. I'm here to tell you, if you're relying on someone else to make you happy, you, you're setting yourself up for, for trouble. If your happiness is, is banked on, on, on the performance of your spouse or how he treats you or how she treats you, you're setting yourself up for failure. You don't find fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness in other people. You find fulfillment and satisfaction and, and happiness in Jesus. 
Well, let me read you a scripture in Philippians 4.11. Now, um, look at your neighbor and say context is important. Let's say that. Just context is important. When, especially when you're reading the Bible, context is huge. Okay? The Apostle Paul is writing this from a prison cell. Not the most ideal circumstance. Amen? So he's writing this from prison, and he says this. He says, I have learned to be what? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. That's a, a geographical location. That's how someone is treating me. That's uh, the, the feelings that I'm experiencing. It's all of those. That, that is wrapped up in circumstances. He says, I have learned to be content regardless of circumstances. Now remember the context. He's writing this from prison. How in the world can the Apostle Paul make such a bold statement like this that he has learned to be content no matter the circumstance that he finds himself in? How can he make that bold statement? Because he knew that real contentment lies not in what he has, but who or whose he is. Whose he is. You see, when I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I understand whose I am and who I am and what I have in Him, in Christ. And, and when that happens, I become content. A lack of com contentment causes me to look horizontally at, at what other people have. And it leads me to compare what they have to what I don't have, or, or who they're married to with, with who I'm married to. See, a lack, you need to know this. Lack of commitment leads to horizontal Looking. You're, you're looking to other people. But contentment leads to vertical. Looking vertically to God. L looking, looking to Him. Looking in His direction. And when I look in His direction, regardless of my possessions, or in Paul's case, regardless of his circumstances, he knows that God is enough. That Christ is is enough. When I'm content in Christ, I become content with who I am and what I have. It's very, very important. When I become content in Christ, I become content with who I am. Somebody needs to hear that. I'm going to say that again. When I become content in Christ, I become content with who I am and what I have. And who I have as a spouse. And who my kids are. When I'm content in Christ. I don't need things to make me feel better about myself. I don't need possessions to make me feel better about myself. I don't, listen, listen, I don't need a woman to complete me. Now, I love my wife. She's the best wife I ever had. <laughs> Only wife, for those of you that don't know me. I love her. She's the most precious person in the world to me. She's my best friend. We spent almost 23 years together. Coming up on 22 years being married but she doesn't complete me. Hear me. I know some of you are thinking about the Jerry Maguire scene right now. You complete me. You had me from hello. No, no, no. You, you cannot rely on another person to complete you. You have to be complete and fully complete in Christ. Who is eternal. Who has all things. Until you're content in Jesus, you will never be content with what you have. Until you're content in Jesus, you will never be content with who you are. 
Until you're content in Jesus, you will never be content with who you're married to. Man, man this is, I, I may buy this tape. This is a good message. We, we need to hear this. Until you become content in Christ, you'll always be comparing what you have, who you have, who you are, to other people and what they have and who they have. You have to become fully satisfied in Christ. And when this happens, listen, when you become completely content in Jesus Christ, you will appreciate your marriage. You will appreciate the things that you have. You will see the good in your spouse. You will focus on giving and not receiving. Contentment, listen, will destroy comparison. Comparison is a tactic of the devil. Pastor, how do I fight that? By learning to be content. Secondly, not just contentment, but commitment. Commitment. Now, now listen, the context, look at your neighbor and say context is important, okay? In the context of choices, that's what I'm preaching about today. And too many choices and how dangerous that it is. In the context of choices, commitment is the antidote for regret. It's the antidote for regret. Because there are other choices, when we become dissatisfied with the choice that we've made, we regret not choosing something else or someone else. Because there's other choices, when we become dissatisfied with the choice that we made, we begin to regret the choice that we didn't make. We begin to regret not marrying this person or not, or, or not waiting a few more years before we got married. We, we regret moving and we regret doing this. We regret doing that. We're always thinking about what could have been or what might have been instead of embracing where we are now. What we're always regretting. Well, you know, I've made, I've made the wrong choice. I, you know, I should have did this. I, I, I should have done that. And, and now, you know, it's too late. My life is a mess. And we end up regretting the choices we didn't make instead of embracing the choice that we have made and committing to that choice. Let, let me give you a scripture. Now, I, I, know, I know I've been telling you that context is important, okay? And I know the context that Jesus is, is saying this verse is not necessarily about the context that I'm speaking on today. However, there are principles throughout the Word of God that you can apply to different areas of life. Okay, so, so let me read this. Jesus said this, Luke chapter 9, verse 62. He says, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. What is, what is the, the underlying theme here? Commitment. Setting your hands to something and staying the course. This is a, this is a, commitment is a value that, ha, that we have lost. People are not people of their words today. There's another scripture, and I probably should have looked this up. You can look it up. This will be your homework. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let, be a person of your word. Commitment. What Jesus is saying in this verse is, the theme here is commitment. It's about commitment. It's about embracing the decision that you've made. 
In this particular action, he's saying, if you're going to follow me, if you take your hand and hold the plow, don't look back and wonder what your past life was like. But, but, but keep looking forward. Keep your eyes on me. And when it comes to choices, the enemy wants us to live in comparison and regret, and he wants you to get focused on the choices that you didn't make and what you missed out on and what you could have had. And the way that you beat that regret is by saying, okay, you know what? I didn't make those choices. I made this choice, and I'm going to commit to where I am now, and I'm going to live in this moment. I'm going to embrace the choice that I've made, and I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to live in the now. Don't be thinking about how things used to be. Don't be thinking about what things could have been like or how things were here or how things were there. You've made the choice as to where you are now. You've made the choice as to who you're married to now. Commit. It's quiet in here, but this is the truth. Commit. If you've already made a choice, then focus on the choice that you've made. <laughs> Man, I could go a thousand different directions here. Stop comparing your decisions with other alternatives. You, you know, uh, I, can't, I can't tell you how many times that I've heard people say when you're talking to people in, in, in marital counseling or, or relationship counseling, I can't tell you how many times that people said, you know, I'm just, I'm just not sure that, that I married the right person. Just, I'm just, I think I made the wrong choice. I think I married the wrong person. I'm not sure the person that I'm married to right now is the right choice. Yeah, it is. Yeah, she's the one. <laughs> he yells quiet. He's the one. And, and there, is, there is a surefire way, I'm going to give it to you, there's a, there's a guaranteed way that you can know whether or not you are married to the right person. You want to hear it? I'm going to give it to you anyway. The guaranteed way of knowing whether or not you are married to the right person. When you get home this afternoon, you go find your marriage certificate. And if your spouse's name is the name that's next to yours, you have married the right person. You are married to the right person. You have to commit to the choice that you've made. I can promise you. You say, well, Scott, you don't understand what my marriage is like. Well, have you truly committed are you striving to become more unselfish every day? Are you striving to become holy in your marriage? Or is marriage all about your happiness? Is it all about getting your needs met? Because I can promise you, if that's what it's about, your spouse is going to fail you. They're not, they can't live up to those expectations. Those are unrealistic expectations. And besides, who do you think you are for expecting all that? <laughs> you don't walk on water. You're not turning water into wine. Okay, Scott, get off of that. Focus on commitment. You've got to commit. You're suppo Men, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church. How much did he love the church? He laid down his life for her. He looked beyond all of your faults and all of your needs. He looked beyond your failures. He had grace and forgiveness. Hmm. For the joy, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. What was that joy? The reconciliation of us with Him. Being forever together in heaven one day. He saw that joy. And He said, because of that joy, I'm going I'm to endure this pain. I'm going to endure this suffering. Now, I'm not saying that your marriage should be full of pain and suffering. I'm not saying that. 
I'm talking about commit. You have made a choice. Some of you, your, your marriage is in shambles right now. I'm going to challenge you. You made a choice. What, what day was your wedding? Write it down. That, that is a marker. That is a, that is a, a stone that's been etched. October the 4th of 1997. That's my wife and I's wedding anniversary. That's, that's the day that we stood at the altar in front of the Lord, in front of all the witnesses, all the family and friends. And I said, I take you to be my wife, to love, to honor, to cherish, to be faithful, forsaking all others, keeping myself only for you in good times and bad times, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Has it always been easy? No. But I'm committed. My wife's committed. We have got to learn to be people of our words. Christians should be some of the best examples of what a, what a, a marriage should look like. And I'm not here to, if you've gone through divorce, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just saying, if, you know, if, it, if you're starting new, then, then understand you've got to commit. You've got to make the, you make the choice and commit to it. Because it's not going to be easy. We are, we are, we talked about this in men's group, we are different creatures, male and female. We're, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. We don't even think the same. We're wired completely different. We've got to learn to work it out. We've got to learn to be committed. There are a lot of people in this room today, a lot of people who will watch this online, who need to learn the value of the word Commitment. If you don't ever learn how to commit, you're going to live your life in regret. And the enemy is going to keep you under his foot. Constantly comparing your spouse to another spouse. Well, my husband doesn't get me flowers like her husband gets her. Well, my husband doesn't do this. Or, you know, my wife doesn't do this. You know, my, 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 my wife once had a body like this and, and now she's had kids and it's different. My wife once did this. My wife once did this. It's not like this anymore. Listen, you've you got to commit. Don't allow yourself a safety net in case you change your mind. You know, that's the mindset that so many people have today. They're going into a marriage. Well, if it doesn't work out, you know, there's always divorce. No. You're going in with the wrong mindset. Let the other choices go. This is a word for someone this morning. Whatever it is, whether it's relationships, whether it's career, whether it's you think you made the wrong choice in ministry, or you think you've made the wrong choice in, 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 in where, you, where you are today, where you've moved to, you've got to let the other choices go. And you have to embrace the choice that you've made and commit to it. Find your contentment in Christ. And when you are content in Christ, you'll be content with who you are, whose you are, who you have as a spouse, what you have, that's contentment. Commit to it. Embrace the decision you made. Learn to be content and stay committed. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? Let me ask you in closing, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? What is it? I'm going to give you time to think about that. What, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? Is He showing you that you're on the wrong path in life? 
You're not focused on Him. You're, there's no plan or purpose in your life. You're not, you don't have any goals. You're just kind of, you know, living by the seat of your pants. You just, whatever comes your way, that's what you deal with. I mean, I, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Is He, is he saying you, you, need, you need to make some, some other choices? You, the, the path that you're on right now is not going to lead you to where you want to be. It's not going to lead to the things that I have for you. What's he speaking to you this morning about comparison and regret? Have you found yourself being guilty of comparing your spouse to other people? Have you found yourself comparing your marriage to other people's marriages? Have you found yourself comparing your kids and their grades and their behavior and your expectations to other parents' kids and their grades and the things that they're accomplishing and achieving in your life. Where, where, where are you struggling this morning? Don't answer it out loud, but you know. What have you been comparing in your life? What are you regretting? What choices are you regretting? You've got to give those to the Lord and learn to let those go. And commit to where you are today. And watch God work in your life. Heavenly Father, as I come to you today in, in closing, Lord, I... I thank You so much for Your presence in this place today. I thank You, God, for speaking to my heart this week on this subject. Because I know, Lord, I've been guilty. I have fallen victim to the enemy's tactics of comparing my ministry with other people's ministry. Comparing decisions I've made or things that, that I didn't choose and looking at things and thinking that maybe I could have had it better there or could have made more money by doing this or in all sorts of different areas. Father, I have struggled with comparison. And I thank You for dealing with me this week. God, I pray for those that You're dealing with right now, Lord, who struggle with comparison, who struggle with regret, that Your Spirit would speak into their life today. And that You would help them to pursue You more than anything else in this world. To seek first the Kingdom of God. To put You first. God, so many Scriptures come to mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Honor the Lord. Put Him first. God, let us do that today. And we know that if we will do those things, Lord, we will find contentment in You. And as we become content in You, Lord, we'll become content with who we are and what we have and the relationship, Father Lord, that we're in as, a, as in marriage. And Father, I pray that we would commit to the choice that we've made and that we would, we would find You in the now and that we would strive to live from this day forward, God, pursuing You and staying committed to honoring You with our decisions. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, God, that You would just envelop people. God, that You would just move right into that troubled marriage today and begin to bring peace, Lord, as they put You first. I thank You for what You're going to do in every heart that is represented today. God, people are going to leave today, but you're gonna, Your Word is going is to be breaking up the soil in their hearts. God, Your Word is going to go deep and Your Word is going to bring forth fruit. And I thank You for that. It's not anything that I've said today, God. It's My words, my words cannot, cannot break bondage. My words cannot break 
chains, God, but it's the anointing that breaks the yokes of bondage. God, it's the anointing that's on Your Word that sets people free, that heals people's hearts, that heals families and brokenness and relationship. So Lord, do that today in Jesus' name. Amen.